Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. It's Friday. You know what that means. Hobby hustle time for everyone. Let's go. Let's get this party started. Turn it up and let's get your mind right before you step into the weekend. Shout out to all you day one listeners. If you're downloading this on day one, I got a special place in my heart for you. First time listeners, the early adopters, the people who come and slide in my DMs and hit me up about the show before I even start the promo. You are my people. Let's go. Exciting Super Bowl matchup we have on our hands. Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. What are you going to do? Two of the best for a showdown. I am fired up. I'm excited. I got the Royal Rumble this weekend. I am going to be locked and loaded in watching the 30-man over-the-top spectacle that starts us off on our special road to WrestleMania. God, I love this hobby. God, I love wrestling. And I love the conversation that I had today with my man Jeff from Pat Geek. He's a guy I've been wanting to have on the show for some time. We talk, cover a lot of ground. We talk Patrick Mahomes, Luca. We talk about his background, his show, and we take some questions from the listeners, something I don't typically do on the Hobby Hustle, but decided to change it up today. All right, everyone, sit back, relax, turn it up, and enjoy the conversation. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Hobby Hustle. I am really excited for today's episode. I am here with Jeff. Jeff is the man behind Pat Geek, I know a lot of you have seen his YouTube channel on Binge Clear Media. Um, I'm just so uh, thrilled to be talking with him, and we got a chance to talk a little bit about uh, the Super Bowl matchup before we got on. And um, I think I knew this, but I relearned that Jeff was a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Um, he's in the Dallas area now, but um, from that area. So um, without further ado, we're going to talk a little Super Bowl. But uh, Jeff, how are you doing today? Brett, I am awesome, man. Uh, yesterday, you know, the Chiefs sealed the deal on getting into the Super Bowl. So uh, I, I'm riding this wave of good times at the moment. Were you, uh, so I think just any football fan watching the NFL this year looked at the landscape and looked at Patrick Mahomes and looked at what the Chiefs' offense had, Andy Reid, them being Super Bowl champs last year, and viewed them as the clear cut favorite to win it again as a fan of the chiefs did you have trepidation with all of this attention were you are you surprised that they're back in the spot or were you confident the whole way through i wish i could say i was confident i think i've been a chiefs fan too long to just assume we're going to be you know a super bowl contender at the beginning of the season but you know hopefully optimistic and with a quarterback like Mahomes, you know, you've always got a fighter's chance. Yeah, you sure do. Um, I feel like when Peyton Manning was my quarterback, it was that same feeling. And with Mahomes, I enjoy uh, and appreciate watching him just because he's he's absolutely brilliant. Um, just as a fan of the Chiefs, knowing that you've got a guy like Patrick Mahomes at the helm for, you know, the next 10, 15 years, like, that's got to feel good, right? Oh, it feels amazing. You know, like he, he's, he is a perfect spokesperson for the franchise and just the city of Kansas city. You know, this is a, an extremely likable guy. He's obviously a, you know, a freak athlete, but on all accounts, he's, he's a great person, like super likable. He's the sort of guy you want endorsing your, your product. So I think, you know, the chiefs, uh, if everything goes as planned, they're, they're set up really nicely for at least a decade right now. Yes, that's a good spot to be in. And I think like um, the thing I appreciate most about Patrick Mahomes is, you know, you, you watch him play and you watch him make the plays and with Kelsey and Hill and just everybody, he gets everyone involved. But like at the end of that game, when things were getting a little crazy um, and, you know, Josh Allen threw the football and then players were, you know, going at each other, you watch what Patrick Mahomes did and Patrick Mahomes got, Hill on the sideline, got everyone on the sideline. And those are just like, I don't know, for as young as he is, like 
those leadership qualities are, um, you, you can't say enough about it. And I don't know like how you find those when you're evaluating talent in the draft, but like those at times are most, almost even more important than just like natural raw ability on the field. Oh, I, I so agree. Like he's, it's weird. I, I, I literally like I'm holding my breath about Mahomes because it, it feels like one of those things where it's too good to be true. Like you just hoping there isn't some TMZ scandal that comes out next week. Uh, and you know, I just want to put him in a bubble during off season be like, stay in here, <laughs> take care of yourself. We need you to be, you know, optimal for next season. But yeah, he's, he, he really is. He's a very mature, uh, mature athlete and beyond his years, certainly. I mean, he's still such a young guy, but he's got that, you know, great football IQ, but also at the same time, uh, a maturity level you don't find in a lot of professional athletes that are that young and, and having that much success. Like a lot of them don't quite know how to handle that. And understandably so. I don't know that I would handle it well being at that level. I know I wouldn't at that age. So it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's quite impressive. I gotta, I gotta ask you, how, were you lucky enough to get involved in the Patrick Mahomes card market before this explosion? Oh boy. Yes. And it's, it's a painful topic to think of right now because I, I went all in on Mahomes pretty early. Uh, not, not because I had any idea he would be as good as he's turned out to be, but because he was an exciting rookie quarterback playing for the Chiefs. And I'm just like, this is, this is a fun investment because I'm going to be watching these guys. And as we both know, if you've got a little stake in the game, you've got some cards of the players playing. Like, it makes it that much more fun to watch their games and cheer for them. And so I, yeah, I, got, I had some big cards. And I wish I had some on you to show you at this point, but I don't have them anymore. I had two different flawless one-of-one rookies of his. I had the the diamond one of one. I also had the rookie signatures one of one, both the, the platinum versions. And they both graded a PSA 10 just to make oh, things man. even sweeter. And I ended up uh moving both of them before his Super Bowl like a fool because I felt <laughs> like it was getting to the point where they, they were too valuable. And and I felt like I was in a position where I would be greedy if I hung on to them any longer. And God forbid he gets injured or something in these these cards go way down, but yeah, I ended up paying for like two years worth of my show off of a couple of Mahomes cards. But at this point I'm like, I wish I'd just sucked it up and paid for those myself, kept the Mahomes cards and had those to talk about today and show you, you know, <laughs> on the show. <laughs> it's such a difficult, uh, so, so many times we buy into these players and they don't pan out the way we anticipate. And when we do see any signal of success, Patrick Mahomes type success, it's like, what do we do? Like, we gotta, we see the numbers, we see the prices going up, and it's like, natural instinct says, well, we gotta take the profits of it. This, I think, I guess, just that that position you're in, not only being a fan, but this prospect, you know, accelerating forward. What was it for for you to make the decision that you're like I got to try to try to get get out of these now before anything happens? Like what what were the things that were running through your head um, when you sold them? Gosh, uh, great question. I guess you know, being a family man, I, I have a hard time at some point when I know I can liquidate a card and do something really awesome for my family, or you know, whether it's going on a trip or buy some new furniture, which is kind of a situation we've been in lately because we just changed houses. Um, but it, it starts feeling irresponsible to hang on to a card after it's gone up like 10 X or something like that. And I'm wondering to myself, like what, what if, what if this card market bubble burst, if we are in a bubble, who knows? Um, what if he gets injured, especially with football players, like it's extra risky. And, uh, th there was just a lot of things going through my head. I think I got to a point where it had gone up so much. It was literally 10 X from what I paid for it. Um, that I thought there's a lot of good things I can do with this money for the family. I, I need to, I need to pay for this show that I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I try to keep all of my hobby related stuff into a hobby fund. So I try not mm. to go outside of that and go into savings or credit cards or anything like that. And, uh, and so that was it, man. It, it was, it was honestly, it was, I was, I remember the moment 
my wife and I were in Colorado on a vacation. I was talking to her about it. And like, I'm thinking about selling, um, you know, the Mahomes cards and she, she's so awesome and so supportive. And she literally didn't put any pressure. She was like, if, if you feel like that's the move, like I trust you. Um, but you know, I, I know they've gone up quite a bit. So, you know, I understand where you're coming from. If that's the move you decide to make. And, and I did it. And of course, you know, you immediately regret it. And then you go back thinking and you kind of rationalize it and it feels a little bit better. But I I've been on this roller coaster ever since of regret or thinking it was the right move. But I, at this point, I'm kind of at peace with the whole situation. I still have them on my favorite football team. So, you know, I still have that to celebrate. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's one of those things too. It's, you know, I don't know. I talk about this a lot, but if you can take, if you can make some, some money off of it, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those, try not to look back. I think probably in your situation, it might be a little more difficult. The fact that he is on the quarterback of your team, (laughs) he he has been wildly successful, but, uh, you move forward. Um, I want to talk a little bit about maybe your just like professional background. I think you've got uh, a, a, a unique job and a unique role that like is maybe atypical of a lot of content creators in the hobby, but also might give you some advantage of uh, things you're able to do from like a production perspective on, on your show. So maybe let the listeners know just like professionally what, what you do and then how you apply that skill set to Pack Geek. Oh, for sure. Well, I am, uh, my, my profession is I work in production. I'm actually a creative director at a production company. And then I have my own side production group, um, that I, that I produce all that, the packing stuff through. Um, but so essentially for anybody that's not familiar with the creative director position, I, I write and direct, uh, branded content, which in, in other words is like long form commercials for companies. And so I, I love, I love creating content. You know, I'm, I'm a filmmaker at heart. Like that was originally how I got into this, trying to be a, a, a full-time filmmaker. And uh, I, I love it. I, in fact, I feel like a creative director position makes for a perfect collector because your job is essentially to be OCD about things, whether it's a look or a style or design, um, which goes goes hand in hand with being a collector and really figuring out what your PC is and what moves you want to make and, and which cards you're attracted to and why. Um, but I, I'm, I tell people about Pack Geek. It was the marriage of my two loves. It's filmmaking and card collecting. And so I kind of built this series because I, uh, I, I wanted to share these, these uh, packs and boxes that I was breaking with fellow collectors. And I wanted to do it in a way that it felt like they were here with me opening the pack. Um, and I, I started the series back in 2009, 2010, when there wasn't a ton of that um, on YouTube. And then I took a break for about six years and, and then rebooted the series. But it, it's, you know, it's been so much fun. Uh, at this point, it's kind of, it's kind of seen an ev- evolution though. I'm, uh, I'm getting away a little bit from opening packs and opening boxes and getting more to just telling hobby stories, which I think is something I'm super passionate about as you yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's from, from one uh, creative to another. It's like st- stories are important. And I think um, I love whenever someone takes what they do professionally and applies it to the hobby. And it sounds like just, I didn't realize Pat geeks origin story been around for that long. Um, do you, one thing just in going to your site I like is just your kind of your poll goals uh, <laughs> and maybe talk to talk to listeners about like your poll goals, what what the, what kind of maybe what those are. And like, I'd love to get into like, I, I know you've you've hit before what that feeling was like. Yeah, well, so, uh, you know, in in my profession, we talk a lot about the why, you know, essentially the motivation uh, someone has for doing what they do. What Why is it? Why are they excited to get up and go to work every morning? And so I figured out I needed to have that or kind of a mission statement for the series. Like, am I just opening packs, open packs, or is there something I'm actually trying to find? So um, I put together this list of five cards that were kind of like grail cards that I wanted to actually pull on camera. And uh, I'm probably not going to be 
able to remember all of them, but it was, it, it, it's like um, a George Brett roof, I believe, uh, which is my all-time favorite player, 75 tops. Um, I think I have a Gretzky 79, 80 uh, OPTR tops rookie on there. I have a base Mickey Mantle card, um, which, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's ambitious. It, just the pack alone probably break my bank. Um, and then uh, I want to say I have a Jerry Rice rookie on there. Is that? Yeah, I think it, I looked at it before. I think you had a, a Rice and then the, the Jordan. Okay, and the Jordan. Of course, Jordan's on everyone's right. whole list. But as of right now, the Rice is the only one I've hit off the list. So, you know, the series can continue. I've still got goals to achieve. Uh, but gosh, they get more and more lofty every year as pack and box prices go up. That's such a topic and a something everyone's talking about. I mean, you look at the, I mean, the hobby was in a frenzy last week when you, the Donruss hobby box was, you know, listed at $1,200 in year. You know, I mean, there's been jokes and memes and back and forth. And you you think about it and just, just look back to like Donruss last year. And it's like, really? Like, even with like, I mean, John Zion and like people were hyping up those cards because of the Marvels and this and that. It's like, can you really justify $1,200? I guess like for you and I know like the premise of your show and I know it's evolved, but like essentially though is like sharing, opening up pack, sharing that with uh, anyone who's watching. Where where do you fall in terms of like the price of packs these days and like your justification for or either spending money to open packs or not spending money to open packs? So as a collector, I've been trying to honestly get away from opening unopened product just because it's it's gotten crazy. And I've also found that I'm able to build my collection better if I'm if I'm buying singles. However, from the show standpoint, you're totally right. Like it's based around opening these products. And so I had to get kind of crafty with that because we all know like the current new releases, it's like they're just getting more and more expensive with each release. And while I love to open up new product and be the first person, one of the first people to open that on camera, I found uh, I found a lot of joy in just going back like five to 10 years for product. And I feel like a lot of stuff from a decade ago is actually underpriced if you look at it in comparison with the current products going out. So I, and I'm a product of the eighties. So I love going as far back as the eighties, but from the early two thousands, there's some great products out there. You know, I, I opened up, uh, I opened up quite a bit of 1998, 99, uh, basketball products where you've got the, you know, the Dirk, the Vince Carter, uh, Paul Pierce rookies. And then, you know, uh, 1996, you've got Kobe rookies and AI and uh, another great class. So even though we're talking about the year of Kobe Bryant's rookie, those boxes are still underpriced, in my opinion, compared to a $1,200 box of Donruss, you know, brand new Donruss coming out. Yeah. And it just takes like, I think it just takes everyone not jumping to the new shiny object and taking a step back. Because like, if you look, and I want to talk about grading, but if you yeah. look at like the 96 product and, you know, it's a, the rookie class is probably the best rookie class ever. Wow. And it's, it's incredible. And you, you pull, like, let's say you pull it, you're opening tops and you pull a Kobe, right? You know, your ability to go take that card, submit it. You, you're probably not going to get a 10. Like that shouldn't be your expectation, but like you hit a nine there or whatever. And you're, you're paying for the price of the box and then some. So. I think like that's an interesting like strategy and kind of putting on the nostalgia goggles, but also maybe putting on um, some like smart investing goggles where knowing that you could pull an AI, a Kobe, a, you know, a Steve Nash or whatever, and you can go submit those and then, you know, pay for the price of the box. What, what is that kind of how you're thinking as you're pulling back? Is grading involved at all? Uh, 100%. So, um, you know, really with the boxes I'm opening, people constantly ask me, am I just a wild hoarder? Do I just have monster? Am I, am I sleeping on monster boxes every night or, or do I have a strategy for this? 100% have to have a strategy, an extremely calculated individual just for most aspects of life. But that definitely applies to my collecting and the boxes I've opened. So hopefully this doesn't, you know, ruin anyone's opinion of me, but I will literally just keep the cards that are on my PC 
and the rest of them I'm moving out to different outlets. You know, I'm, I'm either, you know, uh, putting some sets together out of that or, or farming out singles to, you know, my com C store or listing some on eBay. And then I, I grade a ton. So to your question, I'm pulling everything that looks jam out of these older boxes, submitting those, and then seeing however I need to move those. But at the end of the day, everything is trying to build back into my PC. So, you know, there, there's, there's all sorts of different outlets for that, but I'm definitely not just filing everything away in monster boxes or, you know, something I, I do love donating, uh, commons. I recommend this to anybody who breaks a lot. I donate the commons to either kids because children like my, my son's a two-year-old collector. He could care less if I gave him a, a Jordan rookie or, you know, any essentially worthless common. He just wants cards. Um, so kids love them. I also take a bunch to just the local hobby shops because they're, you know, needing to build sets for, uh, for their customers. So I, I, I will just give them, you know, a monster box of uh, commons that I don't need. That's kind of how I keep from running my wife out of the house with common cards. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's just kind of like high, whether it's ripping packs, um, buying singles, to me, it's like you got to keep a high volume of activity to be in the game and get ahead of things. And so I, maybe we can talk about your grading. Like you're, you're in Dallas, so right, Beckett's right around the corner. Are, are, you, are you splitting your time? With, are you going just to submitting just to Beckett? Are you sending cards to PSA, a mixture of both? Like what's your mentality there? Gosh, you're going to get me in trouble because I've got buddies over at uh, BGS, but <laughs> Um, I, I, to be totally honest, it depends on which month you ask me. It's like some years I'm like only PSA other years. I'm like, you know what? BGS is where it's at. So I, at this point I do kind of split it depending on what the card is, uh, depending on what the specials are, you know, I've got, I've got uh, a ton of cards waiting at PSA and I just hate the waiting game, but Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a part of grading these days. So, um, you know, I, I do think Beckett's, I want to say it's their five day is actually moving at a really good pace right now. So if I've got something that I want to get back quickly, I'll do that. Or if it's super high end, I go, if it's really high end, I take almost everything to PSA. But uh, I guess, you know, long, long story short, like I use both of them currently. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I think you got to diversify your grading and figure out like what you like better. And you know, it's a learning experience. Like for me, I've learned that if I'm submitting cards that I shouldn't submit them a hundred at a time, 200 at a time, I should split it up in groups of 20. Um, maybe if I've got some cards that are worth over $200, maybe those should go express or another service level up. So I think it's just pulling different levers based on like what your intentions are with the cards. Are they cards you're trying to get back so you can sell because you're anticipating something? Are they cards for your PC? It seems to me, and I'd love to get your reaction to this. It seems like with grading in general, everyone's got like this blanket, like, oh, it takes, and I was like this. It was like, oh, it takes forever, blah, blah, blah. But I think it just, you've got to align like the type of grading you're doing to your own strategy. Totally agree. Totally agree. I I, I think um, sometimes, sometimes it's actually a good thing that you have to wait a little bit. And I, I say that because Last season in particular, I remember I submitted a ton of Luca cards. And if if I'm trying to hang on to some cards, if I don't want to ever be tempted to sell them, I'll keep them raw. But once they come back graded, I know how how liquid they are at that point in time. So I sent a bunch of Luca cards in just as he was, you know, real his cards are popping off. And all I was thinking to myself is, you know, I I'm happy these aren't coming back yet because I know when they do. I'm going to be, I'm going to be very tempted to sell them and I want to hang on to these. So they came back actually during the off season, which was nice because I was like, I'm going to, you know, hang on to them, figure out, you know, what I want to do, but, um, I'm not just itching to sell them immediately while he's in the playoffs or whatever the the situation might be. So sometimes it's good to have cards in grading limbo for a little while, maybe, you know, in, uh, I've also had some players that I submitted that kind of tanked while they're they were in grading limbo. So, uh, that was a little bit weird situation, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I think you're hundred percent right. I think, uh, if it's a massive priority, just pay a little bit extra and, 
you know, they'll get it back to you quicker. But so I'm curious, you said you break them up into like 20, do you not do any more than 20 cards of submission? Uh, this is a, a new lesson learned where I, so I had a, an order that I submitted November 10th to PSA. It was 210 vintage wrestling cards and like we're talking 82 83 wrestling all-stars like the really good stuff and i'm like regretting my move so much now when i seeing the prices of these cards but the i submitted it and if you look in the fine print psa says something about like it, it can take 15 weeks to receive and i'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs and it hasn't been received it hasn't been received at the at the same time, I had gotten information from other people about like splitting it up. So I had sent maybe six other orders of basketball, twenty sure. cards a pop, all of them within a week received, received, received. So that was like a lesson to me that especially at this period of time, like don't bulk sub two hundred cards. Like if you're gonna send two hundred cards, at least split them up into individual orders. You know, my fear is always that I'm going to hit the angry grader with like a giant sub of 200 cards and he's just going to kill me for 200. And so I, I'm, I kind of follow the same principle as you, maybe for a different like conspiracy <laughs> theorist reasoning. But, uh, but yeah, I try not to submit more than 20 or 25 cards uh, just in case they're having a bad day. And yeah. I, I, you know, I can take a 20 card hit, but I, I can't take like a 200 card hit. Yeah, no, you know, I, I know. And I, you know, at the end of the day, like we're at the discretion of these grading companies and I think we just all have to be okay with that. Like stuff at like there's movement happening, obviously with the Nat Turner news and PSA and like, you know, everyone's been down on Beckett this year, but you know, they're going to come back up. It's like everything, everything goes in waves. So I think like we all want graded cards. We th- that is that is the commodity we want whether it's something in our collection that we want to keep or something that we want to move. So to me like my biggest thing that I've tried to learn this year is just like practice some patience and like wow those like you said sometimes the cards not being in your possession are are to your benefit. Right. You're not you're not selling them they go up 3x by the time you get them and like I I view, I view it a little bit like when they do come, it's kind of like Christmas, you know, it's like they come and it's like, hooray, I can do a live, break them open, show people, sell what I don't want off that sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. I, and we also need to remind ourselves that this grading backlog that bodes very well for the hobby that, that is, that should automatically tell everyone that we're in a healthy place right now. If these grading companies can have, you know, thousands, if not millions of cards in a backlog, probably not millions, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a great sign. If the hobby is not doing well. People are going to stop submitting. And the, all of a sudden you have a quick turnaround, but maybe we don't want that. You know, I'm with you. I got to ask you just cause you, you brought them up and it's Dallas. Like, can you describe and talk about maybe from a, non-card perspective and then from a card perspective what it's like to be i mean you're in a quite the position as being a kansas city cheese fan patrick mahomes and <laughs> living in the city of the don luka Doncic. what what's the buzz in town about this kid um and then maybe like talk about your perception of obviously he's the heartthrob of the hobby like what that's been like for you Oh man. Well, I got to tell you, 2017, 2018, it was like I was having the luckiest collector years of my life with me because I'm literally collecting Patrick Mahomes. I'm collecting Luka Doncic because they are, as you said, the sweethearts of my favorite teams in their respective sports. And they just both turned out to be just absolute fire. Uh, You know, the cards went crazy. And I was. I, I literally had people, it's funny because I was posting pickups on social media and I had a couple people message me saying, you're just the guy that goes after, you know, the hottest athletes out there. Do you collect <laughs> anyone that isn't the most popular person in their sport? And I totally understand where they're coming from because it, it, the perception was that, but I had to explain like, this is, this is pure luck. 
because I'm collecting, I'm collecting the stud from the teams that I like, and they just turned out to be, you know, MVP caliber for their, for their sport. Um, so that, that was super lucky, but it, it is, it's crazy, man. In Dallas, Luca, it, well, he's again, much like Mahomes, he's a great spokesperson for not only the team and the city, but for the sport. He, what he speaks like three or four languages. The guy is, he's, uh, it's so much fun. It makes going to local, see the local basketball team just amazing. But then, you know, also everybody is kind of talking about the, the team that's in your home city. So it's kind of surreal, really, because I never lived in Kansas City while Mahomes was there. So I've been kind of on the outside looking in. But uh, but yeah, for Dallas and collecting and being in a city that really has a, a, a strong hobby, it's a stronghold for the hobby here. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got Beckett here. We've got Panini here. I live like 15 minutes from Panini's headquarters. Is Heritage in Dallas too? Heritage, yeah. Well, they've got a couple of different campuses, but their main campus in particular for sports cards is in Dallas as well. So there are a lot of collectors here and a lot of hobby resources. So it's, it's wild, man. Everybody it's this buzz about Luca. And of course you hear friends that are into sports, but don't really collect sports cards asking like, should I be buying Luca Doncic cards right now? And it's, it's just crazy, dude. It's such a wild time to be a collector. I know it sure is. Um, Maybe let's talk a little bit about just like your, I know you've got a nice tray collection and um, just based on your Instagram feed, looks like you're uh, picking up some Bradley Beal recently. Maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe talk about like where your mindset is with your current collection and what you're focusing in on. So I, I I have this weird way of collecting. I, well, so I know the, the athletes that I know are popular, but I don't buy anyone's cards until I've actually seen them play and Mm. watch some of their games. Um, in particular, Bradley Beal, I I saw him play the Mavericks like three seasons ago and he, I knew of this guy, like I'd seen his box scores and knew, knew he was a prolific scorer, but had no idea how electric this guy was. I saw him, watched him light the Mavericks up. It was sad because Luca was out. Uh, and then Bradley Beal was just came to town and tore him apart. Uh, but I loved the way he played. And it, people can be like, "You're a Mavericks fan," but I'm like, "You, he's undeniably good." And so Bradley Beal was a fun one because I, his cards are really affordable compared to a lot of the the big rookies. Um, so I've been able to pick up some really nice ones. And there's you know, all indication that this guy could be leaving town, leaving Washington soon. You know, people are talking about him going to the Lakers, him going to the Heat, uh, him going to a couple other teams. But Dallas is on a short list that has been mentioned, and they could use Bradley Beal. They could use a clutch shooter like him. So I'm in this dream mode where I feel like I can will this to happen if I continue (laughs) to collect Bradley Beal cards until he decides on another team, assuming he leaves Washington. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of gearing up for the potential that he could become a Mavericks, but he's just awesome. He's a fun guy to collect. And like I said, like, yeah, I know he's not on a winning team, um, but his cards are relatively affordable compared to a lot of these young players that are coming out that would dream of having Bradley Beal's career. So uh, to me, he was a no brainer and he's been a lot of fun. Cause I, it's kind of like I'm seeing Beal collectors come out of the woodwork. When I start posting these, I'm like, I didn't know you collected Beal. Like, let's talk about this. This guy's fun. Um, and then Trey, uh, Trey is, Trey's like, I always kind of um, thought of Trey and Luca together. So mm-hmm. when, you know, they're obviously in the same rookie class, they had a lot of hype together. There were, there was a lot of competition there saying like, who's going to be rookie of the year. And, you know, while Luca ran away with it, I don't know if you remember, but that season, Trey started off kind of slow and then he got super hot at the end of the season to where people are like, trying to legitimately argue, should he be rookie of the year? Um, Luca ended up taking it, you know, and I think he deserved it, but uh, Luca's cards hit a certain point where I w- I felt like I was kind of priced out and I didn't feel like I could, I could afford to buy any more uh, cards of his while he was still young and still kind of proving himself. Um, so I started buying Trey and I think at the time Trey was like 25% of what Luca's prices were. And, and like, I don't, I love Luca. I don't think Trey is 
25% of the player he is. Like, I think he's, he's really good. I think, you know, Luca is more dynamic and, and there's arguments both ways. I know Trey's defense is super suspect, but he's been working on that if you watch him this year. Um, but I think he's a great player and he's so fun. And I just see Luca and Trey Young being this kind of bird magic uh, rivalry, hopefully for, for another decade playing together. And uh, he's been a lot of fun to collect. I feel like there's a lot of passionate Trey Young collectors out there too. So that's been fun to you know talk to those guys as well. Yeah, and I guess uh, we got to shout him out, even though he gets shout out a lot on this show with Lamine bringing us into the same uh, chat group together, which I had I had been super busy and hadn't been in there recently. And I saw that the name had changed to Sports Cards Change for My Life. Do you do you have any idea where that came from? I missed that. You know, Lamine does what he wants, man. He is uh, he he's a great dude, and and really um, he. That that group was initially a Trey Young group. I don't know if you if you were I didn't know that a part of it back then, or if you got added on because it's yeah it's gone through a couple of transitions. But when it was the Trey Young group, you know it it was kind of hit or miss. We didn't have a constant conversation. I think Lamim is smart enough uh, and savvy enough with his social media presence. He knew he needed to change it to something that was going to spawn a little bit more discussion. So now you know went to the Grails, and now it's like sports card changed our life. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. And, and for those, for those folks out there, if you aren't on any of these Instagram discussion groups, man, join one or create one. They're a blast. They really are. They are. And so I'm in, I, I still want to call it grails are us, but now it's sports cards changed my life, but uh, um, I'm in that one. And I'm in a, a Peyton Manning collector one that I started and it is, they're great resources when you, don't want to like source the entire Instagram population and create a post or do a story, but just like bounce a quick something off of somebody that they're good for that. They're good for um, just getting a temperature of the market. Like I feel like the, I don't, I probably know maybe, I don't know, a handful of people in our, our group um, pretty well, but a lot of the guys I don't know. So it's just, I don't know how old they are. It's just interesting getting everyone's uh, perspective of who they're collecting, what they think, this and that. And I think like sometimes like it's even more valuable. I spend so much time in the hobby, like contributing and like creating content. It's it's fun sometimes just to take a step back and like watch people talk about what's going on, you know? Oh, I feel the exact same way. And uh, in this particular group we're talking about, like there's there's some wild collections in there and just some extremely knowledgeable collectors. So I feel like I learn a lot from there. Every time I sign in the morning and, you know, it's gone for like 10 pages, I have to try to catch up to what, what the current topic is. I learned so much. And like, what I like about this group is it's for better or worse, a very, a very outspoken group of collectors and passionate. So you can essentially pull them. And like you said, get a, you know, gauge the temperature of just about any topic in the hobby by just posing a question to this group and getting their feedback. And you get a very diverse group of feedback, but it's, it's been awesome. And it's, you know, I I come up with some random questions every now and then, and I know I'm going to get good, honest feedback from those guys. Yeah. It, the, uh, I think the thing I appreciate the most about it is the fact that I can see something on Instagram like, and like, I'll look at it and I'll look at the post and I'll be like, what is going on with this person? Like, what are they doing? And then sure enough, like two hours later, I'll go in the group and the group will have validated my opinion that, <laughs> yeah, that's just messed up. And it'll be like a whole uh, topic of conversation. So it's, it's good validation. So like the punchline to everyone out there, like, you know, go meet people, like be proactive and go start a group. Like don't wait. Like if you know people just start it, like it's amazing. Like what can happen just when you get a collection of really passionate people together. And and be on the lookout for my Bradley Beal group forming later on. <laughs> Shout out all you Bradley Beal collectors. We actually, I saw you repost it, but I, before we got on, I put on some topics of at people seeing if anyone had any questions for this conversation, which I've never done this before. And I don't know why I decided, but I did get some responses. So uh, let's tee it up. So I got one from Heartland Hustle. Um, He asked, when it comes to grading, 
buy, do you buy singles or do you rip wax to find cards and grade them? Oh man, such a good question. So I will say this, notoriously, I have much better luck submitting cards that I've opened myself just because I'm such an OCD freak. It's literally out of the pack. Immediately, it might not even hit the air, goes into a penny sleeve and into you know a card saver. So I know I am as freakish about that as anybody. Now buying buying cards over eBay, I do that all the time. Buying raw singles because you know a lot of times you can get a, a much better price for them than a a nine or ten whatever you might be going after. But you also run the risk of did this person no grading themselves? Would they would they sell a a card that looks gem raw, or would they just try and sell that because they know it's not going to grade out? So you know what I do, and I'm sure I'm not the only person that does this, but when I buy raw cards on eBay, I go to that seller's account and see if they have a ton of graded cards. If they have all raw cards, then I know they're just one of those collectors that doesn't care about grading. Respect, you know, I, I, I totally get that. Um, but if this raw card is in there with a gang of graded cards, especially high graded cards, I know they know what they're doing and they probably aren't selling a card that is going to grade well. I, I, that's like my pro tip of all pro tips. I do the exact, <laughs> exact same thing. The one thing I'll add to that. So I think the, the days of like going and buying like a Luca raw prism base card and like going and buying that now and expecting it to gem like those that's done. Like all of like the popular mainstream stuff that was, that's been picked through. I think like my advice on that one is if new product comes out, a lot of people say like, don't go buy singles of new product right away. And that's probably right. If you're talking about the hot rookies, this and that, but like, Mm -hmm. I do think you can go buy some parallels of like some established guys and get those cards graded that the market might not want immediately right now. And I just like that mentality because, um, I know it's probably only been in one person's hands or it's a breaker who's trying to kind of pay for the price of, you know, his box or whatever. So like that, that's my feedback there. And the other thing is that I've been doing recently is buying kind of like redemptions or uncirculated cards that are in cases. Like I bought in Peyton Manning stuff like that. I bought in some Seku stuff like that, that I am literally getting them and cracking them out of the case and then submitting them knowing that like no one else has touched these cards and it's it's not cheap like usually those cards aren't cheap but like the peace of mind knowing that they haven't been through a bunch of people's hands is reassuring to me now you aren't cracking out cards that are sealed and like a one touch with the with the seal from panini right or are you cracking those out and submitting it I'm I'm cracking those out in submitting them, and I'm uh, un top stuff from uh, like un uncirculated top stuff. I'm doing that too, and I know people are like you're a savage. I know, right? <laughs> That's why I don't have I don't have the guts to do that, man. Props to you. That's have you had success doing that? Uh, well, well, well. So I got. Um, let me see if I this card um, is a. 2003 Peyton Manning uh, tops Chrome Gold X Fractor, and I got a I got a nine. There's like five of these, nothing, none higher, and uh, so I got a nine on that. And this is just a card that I'm like Gold X Fractor when he goes in the Hall of Fame. Like it's at a 101. These will go up. Uh, the other one I just did was the Seiku uh, uh, Cracked Ice uh, uh, Contenders. You know. It's a gamble. Sometimes you got to gamble. So that's, that's my, that's my approach there. Uh, well, and, and I, I have a feeling you would agree, but um, one of my favorite topics is PSA nine and BGS nines being wonderful to buy when it's a super low numbered card, especially if it's something like out of 10. Yeah. If you can find it in a nine, by all means, grab that. Like, I, I look at cards like that, like you're you're lucky if you're able to get your hands on one in any grade, but you can't be too particular because who knows when something like that is going to come up for sale again. So if nothing else, you can always buy an upgrade later. But if you're a collector's like Brett and I, and you just want to have that card in our collection, get it in a nine because you know you're going to get a much better price than if you wait for that gem, gem copy to show up. The, the infatuation with the PSA 10, of course, we all want the 10s. But 
for that point, like if it, I'd much rather have rare and scarce card in a, a BGS nine, than you know, than than not having, it's a different ball game. And I think there should be more content on this topic. That's a, it's a, a very uh, a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. We got one, one more question I, I want to hit um, from UD Black Collector. When hunting or saving for grails, how do you stay focused with a loaded PayPal in temptation? Gosh. Okay. So this is a question that is very near and dear to me at the moment because this is something I've been working on. I am a very, I have been over the years, a very re- reactionary buyer, not somebody who is waiting long or saving money. I'm more likely to buy something and figure it out later. That's not the. That's not necessarily the right way to be or the best way to be. I've been consolidating a lot and, and taking like months off from buying at a time. And you can ask people that are in a couple of Instagram groups I'm in because I probably talked about it ad nauseum, like I was in some, some you know, Alcoholics Anonymous group or something where I'm just needing to tell people what I'm trying to do so they can so they can yeah help me stay on task. I uh, I've been doing a lot of this, so I will take a month off and I won't buy anything. I will not only save money, but I will figure out what card it is I really want instead of you know having a, a dozen different eBay searches where a saved listing comes up. I immediately buy it because it was on my saved list, and then you know. I buy something similar to that the next week. I'm like, well, did I need the first one I bought? You know, I, I should have held off and wait for a card that I really care about. And so to, to the question about the grails, I think the best thing you can do is, is to consolidate. I think it's smart because as collectors, we have hoarding mentalities. So maybe, maybe liquidate a few cards or just hold off from buying for a little bit and get your, get your ducks in a row get your PayPal built up, whatever you need to do. And you will, I promise you, you will feel so much better about your purchase if it is a really intentional buy versus something that popped up late at night and you just decided you had to have it on a whim. At least, at least for me. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think the hardest part about like, and I'm sure you feel this too, the hardest part about doing content though is talking with people like you and bring like, people will bring up cards and bring up like you'll talk to really smart collectors and they'll be talking about their strategy and like something they say will align with like a thought you've had about something. And this happened with me full transparency when I interviewed David Peck on who's like the wrestling card godfather on the show. Like he was saying stuff and he literally spent 10 years every day doing wrestling cards in the hobby knows everything and he was saying things about different sets and stuff and talking about the populations where I was just like, I got to get off of this recording and go hit eBay right now. And that happens. And like, I think influence can happen and it can be good or it can be bad. But like, I don't know, my mentality is always like, if you're having fun and it aligns with like what you want and it makes your collection better, like go for it. But to your point, like, I always feel a lot better with myself when I practice patience and can load up the PayPal and spend it on one big card. Like I'm looking at my collection right now of slabs and I've got like, I've got my collection down to like players. I really like in parallels that I really like rare cards, scarce cards, but I've got a ton of stuff. But like now my like hoarding collector mentality's like setting in where I'm like, I don't feel comfortable selling this stuff, but I know I should. You know what I mean? It's, it's, dude, you're so right. And FOMO is so rampant in our hobby. Um, we all, we all, we all cave to it from time to time. I don't care who you are. Like we've all come across a card that we're just like, I hadn't thought about that card for <laughs> ever maybe. And I just saw it and I absolutely have to have it. Um, I do think it's funny when you start whittling things down, when you start consolidating, I think you'll know when you hit the core that you're not willing to whittle down anymore. And that's like the stuff you really care about and that you might not be able to replace. And, and so I think even if you're doing an experiment to try to figure out where those cards are or which cards they are, I've had to do that a few times and figure out like I can live with, you know, removing some of these. And sometimes I, I sell cards that I wish I hadn't, uh, enter Patrick Mahomes. Um, <laughs> 
but but yeah, I do think it's good. It's just good to know where you stand and what you're really attached to. One hundred percent. This has been fun, man. Maybe we close out. Just what's on the horizon for uh, for uh, Pat Geek and Bench Clear uh, for the rest of the year? Oh man. So uh, well, well, let me just say uh, I. So I have a YouTube channel, Pat Geek, but um, I, for the last six months, I've, I've joined up with a network. It's called Bench Clear Media. We, uh, as we, as we talked about earlier, man, there's a ton of content in the hobby right now. So the idea of bench clear was to kind of give play people a, a, uh, avenue where they can go and they, they know they can find kind of vetted content from content creators that, that we've enjoyed ourselves. So they, we have new content out every day. Um, so that's, that's pretty fun. It's a youtube.com slash bench clear. Uh, and for pack geek, man, I'm about to shoot a bunch of episodes at the Dallas card show at the end of the month with these Dallas card show, again, Dallas and the hobby, man, it's, it's uh, blowing up around here. It's a fun time to be in Dallas as a collector. And these Dallas card shows have been awesome because, you know, I think this one is supposed to have between 450 and 465 tables. Wow. The beauty of these Dallas card shows is it's almost all card dealers. It's not a ton there. There's obviously it's fun to have some corporate booths there. But this is like every booth has cards for sale. So it's it's great in that aspect. If you're looking to pick up some cards or even sell some cards, because they're all buying, most of them are buying, they're really fun. And I'm I'm gonna have a booth there on Saturday shooting some episodes, hopefully with some guys that are gonna be in town that I don't get a chance to see in person very often. So uh, that's gonna be fun. And I'm just hoping to keep keep the show evolving. You know, that's you you understand this as a content creator. Like you got to keep it interesting for yourself, but you want to keep it interesting for the audience as well. And I feel like in order to do that, I've got to keep upping the upping the bar for myself and what I'm expecting from the show and and uh, you know, keep it fun, keep it interesting. Absolutely. Probably no discounts on Luca at the Dallas card show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jeff, uh, thanks for all your contributions to the hobby. Um, Everyone go check out bench clear, go check out Pat geek. Um, Have to have you back on here. uh, Once Bradley Beal ends up in a Dallas Mavericks uniform. Good luck with the super bowl, brother. Thank you for having me on Brett, man. This has been a blast. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. That was my first time chatting with Jeff and just a great dude. We've had some interactions in that group and some DMs, but man, that's the type of conversation I love bringing on the Hobby Hustle. Smash that subscribe button if you like what you heard. Definitely go check out Pack Geek. Go check out his channel. Hit that subscribe button if you like what you heard. Follow me across all the social channels. What are you doing? Get on it. Stacking slabs everywhere. You already know that. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Enjoy the damn Super Bowl. Let's go. 